0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. In this episode, I'm joined by Nolan Osborne. Now, Nolan is a hunting guide. He works up north in some of British Columbia's most beautiful wilderness areas and uh, gets the opportunity to hunt sheep and moose and run a trail of horses, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, amazing life he's able to live. And I, I typically like to give him a call this time of year and we usually connect for a beer and catch up around, uh, the hunting season and, and how, how all things went. Uh, and, uh, Nolan's also, uh, been part of the Journal of Mountain Hunting, uh, crew for a number of years as the podcast host and as well as editor and writer. So you would have bumped into his stuff somewhere along the way, for sure, if you're part of the BC hunting community. And also he's just a uh, real advocate for conservation here in British Columbia, and he's generous with sharing his knowledge. Nolan joined me last year on this time to help me build the Eat Wild bear hunting online course. So it's part of a series of online courses that we've tried to make, make available for folks to make hunting a little more accessible to learn where to start and, and get, kind of formulate a hunt plan and ultimately get out there and be successful. And the thing that I like about, you know, this course at the bear hunting course is that, you know, really bear hunting is probably the most attainable hunt for a new hunter. And, and just that, uh, there's, there's a healthy bear population in and around most of the highly populated areas here in British Columbia. And at this, particularly in the spring season, they're relatively, you know, make themselves available to, to being hunted, uh, you know, without too much, uh, um, you know, too much effort. But any, anyways, the, the online course will kind of walk you through it all. Great way to get started on hunting and hopefully get some organic wild meat in your freezer. So Nolan's just generous with his knowledge and his process. He's guided, uh, bears and is also a passionate bear hunter, super knowledgeable. So check that out. Anyways, Nolan and I were trying to connect for a beer this last week and ended up, turned out we were able to just connect, uh, on the podcast. So what the hell, we are having a beer on the podcast and catching up on a few things, uh, you know big news here in the hunting community is um uh, the Alpine Carnivore Show where Mitch Bolio uh, ran into some trouble with the uh with the conservation officer service here in British Columbia and and Alberta and resulted in uh some charges uh related to some offenses um regrettable for sure and disappointing uh, however you know what i found interesting is just the the overall reaction from the hunting community and how folks um responded to it and, and generally, yes, I, I uh, collective frustration and disappointment that, um, these are the stories that are making the news and, uh, have a reflection on us as a hunting community. So we'll touch on that a little bit in, in the podcast, uh, but more importantly, we're, we're kind of excited about, we're looking ahead to the BC Wild Sheep Foundation's salute to conservation. That's, uh, at February 21st and 22nd, um, I'm joining as a uh, presenter for what they're calling the the uh, Mountain Hunting Expo. So it's a series of presenters talking about tips and tricks for hunting in the mountains. So I'll be there on Friday at 2 o'clock delivering a, um, a presentation on meat care in the mountains, which I'm excited about. Now there'll be a bunch of other exhibitors there, um, in, including... Uh, yeah, a bunch of the BC companies who are supporting the hunting community will all be there as well as a bunch of other presenters. And then there'll also be, you know, events and opportunities to raise funds for conservation and the work that the Wild Sheep Foundation of BC does. So super fun. All right. So this podcast is brought to you by our friends at the iHunter app. And the app is an essential tool for making sure that you're aware of the hunting regulations and the locations that are legal to hunt. And that's what I find super valuable about the app. So for example, uh, if you're using the app, you can, and if you drop a waypoint, uh, you have the option of looking up the the regulation for that exact spot that you're hunting. So it's super powerful to know what species are open, um, what the bag limits are. Um, Hopefully you've done all this research well ahead of your hunt and you're, and you know the regulations, but you know, sometimes when you're up in the mountains and you may cross from one, Imagine unit to another. The regulations can change significantly, and having that tool in your pocket you to know exactly where you are to have a geo reference location of, of where the of where you are relative to regulations and potential regulation changes is super important. The other really great feature that's in the iHunter app is it represents um, where private property boundaries are. But also protected area boundaries and other significant boundaries such as no shooting areas that are critical to knowing, um, wh- where you are and where you're hunting and ensuring that you're well within the legal locations to hunt. So there's several options to turn on layers that will then show you exactly where those no shooting areas are, those per- prevention park areas. And I, I know they're also working on trying to get the, uh, motor vehicle, um, Closure area is also included um, as a, as an easy reference in the app as well. So lots of really great tools there for you to become uh, to ensure that you're hunting on the right side of the law and don't get in any trouble. Right on. Well, let's get into this one and um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you at the sheep show if you're there. All right. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host Dylan Ayers, and in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt fish and gather wild food our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild so join us as we share stories ethics adventures and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild hey nolan Welcome back to the Well wild Podcast. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we usually have a catch-up at some point every year. I, I, I get kind of excited to hear about your, I kind of knowing you, as long as you've been guiding in BC, I think, and I kind of get a chance to catch up with you every year and See how the season is, and, and then we're heading into the BC Sheep Show, or what? What are we calling it? This the Sheep uh,
1: Salute to yeah, Conservation, Mountain Hunting Expo, Mountain hunting Expo. Salute so, to Concert,
0: yeah, everything, everything. So they're gonna cover it all off. So that's a big, it's a big week, and um, I think everybody's getting excited about the hunting season. So I was eager mm-hmm. to reach out and say hi, and and there's been some big news that's landed in the hunting community, and uh, thought it was maybe time to either catch up for a beer at a brewery, and we're both pretty busy, so. We're catching up remotely and having a beer and so yeah, nice to see you, man. How was uh good to see you too? How was your uh how was your hunting season? How was how was the guy season? How was your personal season?
1: Uh it was good. I mean like kind of going back uh basically three hundred and sixty-five days, it's probably the biggest year for me as far as uh, like hunting and being away. I think I was away for one week over six months. Or it's, it's to be clear, I was in the province for most of that. <laughs> I wasn't at home. <laughs> yeah. Since since that's all a hot topic it's these a days. It's very hot topic. Um, yeah, no, I just, I just wasn't at home. So I actually, uh, I was fortunate enough to go down to Mexico in, must have been the end of January last year, end of January, beginning of February. Uh, I went down to Mexico to Sonora. I was invited to go on a desert mule deer hunt on Tiburon Island. Um, so I'd guided... In 2022, I guided uh, a couple of outfitters from Desert Hunt uh, outfitting there and to a stone sheep mountain goat hunt, had a great time with them. And they were basically said, hey, you got to come down to Tiburon. And if anyone, you know, isn't familiar, there's lots to look up there. But anyone who knows sheep and sheep hunting, that's kind of seen as the mecca for, uh, for bighorns and kind of a sheep hunting experience. So uh, yeah, I went down there, time of my life, like probably the, hands down the coolest hunting experience I've ever had Uh, just very unique in unique in a lot of ways I mean you're backpacking but there's no water so you're packing you know you start out packing 11 liters and then packers come in and resupply you with food and water Uh, no mountain house again because there's no water on the island Um, and you know what seems like a very inhospitable place but the sheep thrive there like you've got phenomenal uh sheep density and 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 size like size of the rams and stuff like that so uh what did yeah the, like that what do the sheep do for, for water they headbutt cactuses they headbutt saguaro cactuses and they drink the water out of them no way. no way like there is literally there's a there's like some dry creeks and stuff and the guy said you know, if you hike up some of, uh, I think Mount Cooncock is the big, like, giant peak on the island. And a lot of the other stuff around it is kind of smaller. Um, I would say more rolling, but, like, pretty rocky and cliffy and stuff. But smaller mountains. But in some places, they've said they've found little, like, still pools of absolutely disgusting-looking water. So there is, a, there is, you know, the odd bit of that around. But in the nine days, we were backpacking. Like, I never even saw a drop of dew. Uh, so it's yeah it's it's hard to believe how you know the size of the horn growth they can achieve just from basically drinking cactus and i mean we were there in the winter they only run their hunts in the winter time they said in the summertime it'd be like 115 120 degrees fahrenheit so Mm -hmm. just and then also the rattlesnakes apparently are insane you know outside of the winter season so i didn't see any rattlesnakes saw a few uh scorpions and Jack Roberts couple of really big mule deer, which is cool.
0: Cool, wow, wow, what, okay, yeah. that sounds fascinating. I, I had an invitation or sort of in discussion about maybe going to the Baja for a blacktail hunt, which just sounds kind of yeah, okay, sounds kind of exciting. I going to I just gotta find a little bit more time to plan it out and figure out how I'm gonna do it, and yeah, but uh,
1: very cool. But maybe, uh, yeah,
0: just that. But I just the thought of like, yeah, going to. I've never really thought much about traveling to hunt because I kind of so attached to the hunts that I do here in BC, but then, sure. but then like, there's this, like, I understand that there's a number of hunts in Mexico that are kind of into, you know, January and February into the, like the winter months. Yep. And, um, and also it's like, what a great time to like, not be in Vancouver. <laughs> <for a while. laughs> totally. Totally. So it's like a very yeah. appealing, the concept of like, yeah, yeah. So I can maybe make an exception to my not traveling to hunt to to go down to Baja. That
1: should be great. So yeah, did- I was. I came back and was trying to convince my wife that we should move to Hermosillo, which is kind of the main city in Sonora. I'm like, it's great. Food's incredible. It's, you know, affordable compared to Vancouver. We could live there six months a year. She's like, no, not, oh. not happening, dude. I'm like, okay, well, you know, where's the shot? <laughs> We're totally worth the shot. Why not?
0: Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. And then, uh, and then how, how did you, how was the weather up north? I, one of the things I always notice is like sheep season is so dictated by, and I, I didn't hunt, I didn't hunt the, I didn't hunt the opener this year. Um, we actually got a nice stretch of weather. We were kind of a second week of like, I think we went in for the opener of caribou around like the 15th of August. And we actually had a okay. pretty good stretch of weather in the Cassiars. Um, how was it for you this year? Did you?
1: yeah i i mean i just feel like august now at least the last few years i'm trying to think back yeah i feel like we had some you know earlier on like maybe seven years ago eight years ago we had a ton of smoke but the last few years it seems like the last three or four years we get a lot more rain in august mm-hmm. uh than then i guess what is historical for the area like going back 40 50 years um and then it seems like september flips and september is just kind of gorgeous like nice nice weather and stuff so we had we it was hit and miss i think the opener hunt opener hunt weather wasn't bad it was pretty hot uh end of july start of october was pretty hot um you know kind of the usual hot buggy a little bit smoky uh not terrible and then we i think my second hunt i ended up trailing horses a bunch and then my second hunt would have been probably the 10th or 11th of August, and it was cold and rainy like I had. But, you know, it's such a big outfit, and the mountains change throughout it. So depending on where you are, the weather can be a bit different. And I seem to be sitting in this vortex of, like, of rain, snow, sleet, hail, fog, wind. I mean, there was, like, a bunch of time. I don't think I took rain gear off – most of that hunt there might have been a couple days but a bunch of it i was like when i was on the horse i was just in in heli hansen rubber it was nasty like the leather leathery insulated winter gloves and and you're like this is august like the 10th 11th kind of deal like so yeah it was uh that was a tough one for sure the morale on that one and i was uh i think actually that's the, the only sheep hunt I've ever done where I haven't really found many rams. Like we found one, uh, I just found one six year old. And so we just kind of near the end of the hunt. Like I said, to the outfitter, look, there's no sheep in this. The rams aren't in this country right now. It's, it's kind of pocket country that they move around a lot in. And, uh, he ended up flying that client out to a different camp where, uh, where some guys had, you know, had bands of rams. They were s- not sitting on, but they knew there was bands of rams around and stuff like that. So, Yeah yeah it was a tough
0: one i had this moment where we were packing up to go up north and so we're on the sunshine coast pretty much like in secret cove and it's a lovely spot and and the boats in the water so like summertime here is like pretty magnificent and the salmon season was just getting going around like you know august 1st and just and then all of a sudden i'm like switched from summer mode boating mode into like got to get ready to go hunting. And we had a, a, a little bit later start than usually, usually we try and get out for the opener, but I was like, so like a week out from hunting season, like you're, like you're always you're doing something, you're kind of stressed to kind of make sure you got it all dialed in, if not a couple of weeks out. And then I, I look at the weather report for the Cassiars and it's like, it's like minus three snowing, plus two and raining, minus three and snowing for the week. And I'm like. And I'm literally, it's like, it's 22 degrees and sunny every day on the Sunshine Coast. And I'm literally packing up and leaving summer behind, salmon literally jumping in the boat. And I'm going to drive up to get punished by winter. And I, I, yeah. I just had this thought, I was like, you know, I don't actually have to start my hunting season until September. I can just enjoy summertime and, you know, and not expose myself to these, uh, you know, mountain weather, you know? So,
1: Hey, I often think I might be the dumbest person to live <laughs> on the coast because I'm never here for, well, nowadays, like May, half of June, and then basically July, August, September, I'm gone. So I come back and like, I'm here for April and I come back the end of October and I'm like, wow, <laughs>
0: get of, all the great weather. Because <laughs> it, is, it is honestly like, oh, it is so beautiful. Well, then again, like, I mean, we did out of that trip, we got five beautiful days where we were like camping on the ridge tops and not a lick of wind sunny beautiful like no bugs like it was just beautiful know, like such like and we earned those days for sure but uh, we had some you know shit weather on either side of them but still like it was yeah i don't know still magical and that's what's kind of getting us through the winter just thinking back on those days and you know pretty special for, for sure
1: it's easy to forget the bad days and remember the good ones. <laughs>
0: yeah, pretty quickly. Well, even the bad ones are kind of fun to think about too. So, so I, so what yep. are you, what are you doing now? So you, so you, you got a full guiding season, and you're starting to branch out. It sounds like to get to doing some other interesting hunts. What are you doing that kind of keeps you busy through the winter now?
1: Uh, I've been doing a kind of a bunch of little random stuff. Um, so I've worked for the same outfitter now for ten years. Um, and I've kind of taken a bunch of the skills I had from working with the Journal of Mountain Hunting, uh, and applied them to other aspects of, of that with the outfitting with Craig. So, uh, this winter I'm doing some, um, did some bunch of graphic design work, uh, kind of overhaul, helping to overhaul or managing the overhaul of the website for him. We'll be doing some email campaigns and stuff like that. Uh and then I'm also working for Tanner at Frontiersman Gear Knives. Um and so I'm you know, my role there is the manager, uh communications manager, but it's sort of you know, similar stuff, graphic design. Uh, you know, anytime he needs banners and uh like posters for a magazine or ads or anything like that, I usually handle all that kind of stuff. So
0: cool, cool that's been Cool. And are Pretty you good. still working with the Journal of Mountain Hunting, or is that is that chapter
1: closed for you? No, no, that chapter's closed for me. Yeah, yeah. It was a good. Uh, I think I did that for maybe five and a half years, and you know, it was it was great. It was a great run there. Uh, you know, I think we both kind of shifted uh, shifted focus a bit. Adam is still he's still doing it. He's doing some other stuff as well. He's got some other businesses he's running as well. But um, yeah, I just. I think I needed a little bit of change, and and he needed to, sh- to shift the way things were being done as well. So, kind of worked out. It's a good project, though. You guys accomplished a
0: lot in that in that space, and really brought like the whole podcasting concept to the forefront for a lot of us in the honey community. and And certainly, just doing high quality, um, you know, journaling about the honey community was uh, was really fun to be part of. So, thanks for that contribution. That was thanks for doing that.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, it was fun, and I. You know, it's funny, the podcasting side of things, like for a long time, I kind of fought that, like I didn't really, uh, I don't like to put myself out there, um, I guess would be the way to say it. So I always joked that like, you know, in my ideal world, I could have done the podcast and then it just never went to air because I love talking about hunting. Like I love having conversations about hunting with people. I love, you know, and especially I'm sure you find the same thing. Like it's, it's, it's legitimately fun and interesting to be able to reach out to someone and hear their story and pick their brain and kind of learn more and in, you know, in a, in a way that you probably wouldn't do if you didn't have a podcast, if you weren't hosting that. So that aspect of it, I, I, I do occasionally miss, but totally I, I like not hearing myself.
0: Fair enough. I, I like the fact, even like tonight, like, you know, I just, yeah, I've been meaning to reach out to you for a while and find some time to have a beer, but even just like setting aside, half an hour, an hour to connect with someone that you've, you you know, want to talk to and doing it intentionally. Mm-hmm. And, and then actually even coming to it with a bit of thought, like, okay, I want to talk about these things and pick your brain about these things, like, and, and being really intentional about your conversations, which is probably the part I like about the podcast the most. It just, you got to get, get an opportunity yeah. to set aside the time and reconnect and yeah, it's been fun for sure. So what do you do um, so or, or, what do you, so we got sheep show, should we mentioned that? Cause I, I might try and get this out this week. And, um, so the salute to conservation by the Well Sheep Foundation, uh, are you taking part or what's, what's your, what's your jam
1: going into Yeah, I'm going to be working the booth for Tanner. Cool. That's kind of, I, oh, you know what I have been, Kyle managed to rope me into, uh, being an auction spotter. So I'll be, I'll be helping it with that, um, as far as the Friday night, Saturday night, like, live auction stuff. Um, so, yeah, that'll be good. Never done that before. It'll keep me honest. I'll have a few less beers during the day, <laughs> yeah. which is good. You know, I'm getting older and seeing the effects that those things have on me, so.
0: I've never been to one of these yeah. things, so so I, I'm starting to hear, like, from, from our previous conversation, and, and this now I have to anticipate there'll be lots of beer involved to, throughout the day and into the evening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's, like, you kind of fall into whatever your proclivities are, but it's one of those things where if you like to have a beer or a whiskey, you know, you're in good company. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that. So okay, I'll see if I can handle um, that. and I'll just have to try that out for, see how it goes. Yeah. but no, it's- And it's just, you know, I think you, similar to what you were saying about the podcast, like what I love about these shows is it really brings people together and, I think especially with hunting, um, in this province, it's such a big province and you form kind of friendships and, or acquaintances through people that you've met online or in person at these things. And it's kind of an, it, it gets a bunch of people together that, you know, I would never, there's people that I literally don't ever see outside of one of these shows, but I love spending time with them, chatting with them, that kind of stuff. So I always enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, you know, I think this one should be interesting because I've been to probably four or five of their uh, salute to conservation shows in the past when they had them in cam loops, um, and this one's gonna blow those out of the water. I think, like it's, it's they've really tried to to create something different here. Um, you know, the I think three years ago or maybe yeah, just pre COVID, they basically had like two vendors in a hallway outside of the banquet hall or like outside of the conference rooms. And that was basically it. And they've over the years, they've kind of grown to have, you know, little side things happening in the conference room. Last year was the first time they actually had a full full kind of double conference room set up for some vendors and display like some taxidermists. And Omer from Precision Optics was there. And, and they had some other items, uh, you know, auction items and stuff like that listed. But I think they've got 50 or 55 vendors at this one. Uh, And I know their goal for it was to take, you know, what you see in a hunting trade show, like the one that happens in Chilliwack, or if you've been to an outdoors and fishing boat show, they want to bring that into this space, but really just focused on mountain hunting, which is actually the first time that's happened in Canada. So kudos to them, because I got to think that's, that's quite a bit of work they've taken on, but I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a pretty fun show.
0: Yeah. I've been following the social media that they've been rolling out and they got some... So they're also doing, I'm, I'm taking part in what they're calling the um, Mountain Hunter Expo. So they're doing a series of talks uh, that parallel yes. the um, the the event. And um, mm-hmm. so there'll be a stage and people talking about, yeah, so I, I'm going to talk about meat care for, for an hour and uh, come up with something for that and talk about how you're not supposed to leave. Well, <laughs> well I guess we were talking before we got on air here about, uh, yeah, folks who might be leaving their meat sitting in a lake. In game bags for, for, uh, seven days and that's, that's not going to work, but I can give you some tips that will work that for, we, we did actually use, um, the bucket method, um, for managing our meat on our caribou hunt. Cause we had it, we connected early on the hunt on day two and we filled up our, the, like nice new buckets with quality lids on them, like a nice seals in the lids with, with meat and then weighed them down with some rocks and then packcrafted out to the middle of the lake and dumped them down in the bottom of the lake and with like with ropes tied to them. So, so bear bare bear safe and also mm-hmm. like probably two or three degrees down there on the lake and, and basically just created a fridge environment and just being super careful about the like the meat care process leading up to that has to be hundred percent sterile or best you can, right? Um yeah. Um but that worked it was actually kind of something I've always kind of worried about, like what do you do if you've got an animal and you, you know, you're not dealing with like hanging conditions early season, right? Mm-hmm. You got to try and keep it cold somehow. So we've been kind of playing with this, you know, well, I've been experimenting and trying different things with cooling meat and, and rivers and, and now, uh, lakes and it's been, it's been really good. So I'm going to share
1: a bunch of that at the, That's at the interesting. show. At the show and... Yeah. I never heard that one before.
0: Yeah, I think it might. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's been, I've done it a few times now and feeling like I could talk about it now without, you know, obviously the caveat is like, you know, nothing's perfect, but, but we've had really good, really good results. So I'm happy to talk about it some more. And, but I think people need options for sure because you don't have control over the, certainly the weather and don't have control when you need to get picked up on those flights either, right? Because, you know, some. Totally. We ended up having to stay a day or two longer than we would have liked and kind of stressing about the meat sitting there in the lake. And when we finally pulled it out, we're like, wow, it's perfect. And we got to the butcher and they're like, oh, it's amazing. It's perfect. hundred percent. So.
1: That was super encouraging. That's cool. I heard a rumor once that uh, you can break down a whole moose without getting a drop of blood anywhere on you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Not, not, not like none, no blood whatsoever on any of my outfit. And you know, this, that's
1: yeah, that is exactly what I heard. Yeah, yeah you know, the secret. I don't remember who told me that. It was a few years back, but I was like, "No shit, okay, well, maybe I got a few things to learn then."
0: Yeah, you just gotta take your clothes off first before you get into the moose. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I, so, so, <laughs> oh, I, 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 so, so this is this is actually a good my my good friend and and my hunting mentor Jeff Horsfield who's been on the podcast a few times and um, mm-hmm. but he takes like he he takes absolute like he he will never get a drop of blood on him when he's cleaning a white tail or dealing with a big animal. He's just so meticulous about his process, right? So it's kind of a mm-hmm. thing that developed between us, like how little blood we could get on like as we go through, but his, his big secret when it comes to moose, cause moose gets like, I don't know if I could do a moose without getting bloody. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Cause you got to reach in so far. Um, but yeah, he's, his secret is just, if it's warm enough out, you just peel off your clothes, fold them up, put them next to them, and then get in there, do it. <laughs> it's a lot easier to wash the blood off your arms and, than it is to yeah. <laughs> try to wash it out of your oh, stand yeah, field when it's it saturated funny. with blood. So, um, yeah, no, that's well, That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, we, I do. I got. There's a, I got a picture of that bison. We got a bison a couple of years ago, and like that's full commitment, reaching up inside of a bison to try and cut the in lungs bad. out and heart and lungs, and that's a long way in there. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Especially if you got short arms like me. <laughs> oh, but you're little though. You can kind of get it. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's. Uh, I think that's right. There's advantages. There's advantage. Oh, there's, there's actually other ways of doing. I just you see, you learn it one way, and it's hard not to like. You know, you kind of learn it one way, and it kind of works, and then but there's probably other ways of doing it. I think it'd be a little more efficient in how to pull it all out, but cool. Let's get into the news of the week. We should probably just touch on this a little bit because that was sort of why I I think last week I was so frustrated and kind of needed an ear to talk about some of the news that was landing. And of course, there was the big story last week about um, the Alpine carnivore folks uh, running into some trouble and and had been uh, found guilty of a couple of, well, three offences, apparently. Um, and, uh, and just, the, you know, it was just interesting, like, I was, the impact on the hunting community was, was, um, it's a lot of folks that generated a lot of comments. I got, I got a ton of messages in my inbox and people asking me what my thoughts were on it. I was kind of uncomfortable talking about it just because it's a, you know, it's a, it's an investigation that's gone through by, by the Conservation Officer Service. I also work for, the ministry environment. I have the same boss as the conservation officer, so I'm reluctant to right. to go too far into into you know my thoughts on the investigation or the outcomes of it. But what what I did notice, and I was uh, was kind of and I and I did see your comments um, when I was sort of looking at the 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 I guess Mitch Mitch the Alpine carnivore had posted a a short video kind of trying to explain his, his perspective on how things went down with the, with the investigations. And there was a, I think it was like when I last checked, there was over 350 comments and, and a number of people that I know, like, you know, friends of mine and otherwise, otherwise are, are commenting and, and are frustrated. And so, you know, really the reaction is what I was kind of amazed by. And, and, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable sort of sharing your reaction and, and your feelings as to seeing, for sure yeah. um. And, uh, um, yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know, I think your, your comment is no longer available. I was looking to, to revisit it as, as in my preparation for this conversation, but maybe you could fill me in on, on what your initial thoughts were and what you, what
1: you put down to share with folks to, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things that I've, I was with the journal You're obviously we were in, in the spotlight to some degree, you know, i obviously we're not Steve Rinella or anything like that but but people when you're putting out content with the intent for people to consume it uh, I think you also have to have a bit of a responsibility around how you like how you portray hunting because at the end of the day you do you know to the to the outside person to you know I, I guess even a lot of the your eat wild clients and and the people that take those courses, right? If you're coming into this with no perception and you don't have mentorship and you don't have family, a family that hunts, and you've never really spoken to hunters, uh, you know, what you see in the media shapes, shapes, what you think about hunting. Um, and whether that's just, you're curious and you type in hunting on YouTube and you find, you know, an eat wild podcast or a journal, a mountain hunting video, um, or whatever it is, or, God forbid you end up in on CBC. Uh that's that is in my opinion what shapes hunting. So I think um I think a lot of the reaction like a lot of what I felt strongly about and a lot of the reaction that you see publicly on something like this uh is, is not so much that I mean it is that someone broke the law especially in a way that I think the general hunting community felt in BC was disingenuous. Um, I I don't think that that very many people looked at that and thought like, okay, well, you made some honest mistakes. That's too bad you got dinged. Uh, I think a lot of us felt, you know, obviously I'm speaking for a greater collective, but a lot of us felt like, hey, you should have known better and you probably did know better. And it kind of feels like you just maybe thought you were above that. And then I think the second part of it for me is that, you know, I think we kind of have this little bit of a disease in hunting of the whole like influencer media uh you know and especially when you combine that with mountain hunting and the kind of like oh i'm extreme i did this extreme thing like it just i don't know for a lot of people i think it it leaves a sour taste in their mouth and it and it does kind of the same in the same vein as people look at uh trophy hunting as this thing that's like well it's ego driven right Mm -hmm. that I think it feels the same way. It's like when you like nobody forced you to create videos and content and all of this kinds of stuff. So if if you're doing that, you need to represent the community in the best light possible, I think. And and you know, everyone might take that a little bit of a different way, like certainly We put out podcasts where we were where we would swear, and we would put out videos where we would swear. Sometimes, most of the time, the videos would be bleeped and stuff. And we would even get comments from people saying like Hey, if you can't, you know, keep a clean mouth, then don't even keep it in there." Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Like, and so that there can always be a little bit of a of a differentiating factor in what people deem as as appropriate like I you know we were certainly never anything like jim shockey who i think you could look at his content and be like generally speaking he's you know well spoken polite uh good he's it's a good look for hunters if someone came across jim Shockey stuff for the most part i think they'd be like it's a good look for hunters um but anyways i think i think that's kind of that's what drove all like all of this and then on top of that I think that we're in a place right now where a lot of, a lot of hunters in BC are worried about their future.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you know, you have, you have seasons that get cut or seasons that get turned to LEH, you know, despite even government saying, Hey, we, we know that hunting's not an issue here, but we're still going to reduce hunting opportunity. I think often there's a, there's a sentiment that reducing hunting opportunity is, is kind of, is the easiest button sometimes that the government pushes and, and not always, you know, it's not always the most effective one or not that it's not always effective, but if you don't do anything else, nothing changes. Like, you know, if you have habitat issues and you just reduce hunting, well, you're not actually growing more, a better population or sustaining that population, or you're just reducing our access to a dwindling population. Uh, So I think you kind of have all of these factors coming into play And then it's like, okay, well, you know, there's already stuff that comes out in the media, whether it's around the grizzly hunt or whatever it is that's negative, hunters feel attacked. So when someone within their own kind of community is then put on blast in in such a public way that's so damaging to hunters, I think people just were like, you know, I'm taking the gloves off here. Sick of it. Yeah. So there was a lot of, and, and truthfully, like that's, that's where I stand on it. I mean, I do feel strongly that like, I do think we have a problem with people trying to gain fame through hunting and, and doing it at all costs and not for the right reasons. And, you know, I've had these conversations with buddies before and it's like, if, if you shoot an animal and your first thought is, should I, or should I not post this on Instagram? Like that's, to me, that's sickening. That should yeah. never, it should, you, you know, you're. that should never even be a part of the conversation. Sure. I, and I follow a ton of accounts where people post that kind of stuff. I don't post any of that really myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have, I don't take issue to seeing it. Uh, I just feel like that's become such a driver for some people that it's like, you know, it like killed a ram, got to post it on yeah. Instagram, yeah. killed a moose, got to post it on, you know, and it becomes this cyclical thing. So yeah, I just, I don't know. I watched the guys, the the uh, apology video in air quotes, I will say. Uh, and it just, to me, it just was disingenuous. And it's like, okay, well, regardless of all of the other rumors that are swirling around that stuff and, and you know, what may have happened and, and at the end of the day, like you're filming yourself and you're putting it out there, you got to at least know the regs. Like saying, I didn't know just isn't an excuse, just negligence. So, uh, and that was kind of the gist of my comment. I don't remember exactly what it was offhand, but it was just kind of a lengthy, like (laughs) you need to be better and do better. And, and saying that I didn't know that is it's unacceptable. Like at the end of the day, I mean. How many news sites had that on there within 24 hours? Like CBC, Vancouver Sun, uh, you know, every local news and kind of major Canadian news outlet. AM 980 News in Vancouver had a segment on it. Like,
0: mm-hmm. it's I'm, damaging. It's damaging. It's totally damaging. I had you know three media outlets contact me to comment on it. I, I chose not to because I just it's not like I said. There's a really it's, it's not. I'm not in a place to do that. Um, you know, at yeah. least on, in media, we can talk about it in generality where I have control of the conversation here. Um, but uh, yeah, and then, and I had a, like, I don't know, six or seven, like, you know, people in my community share that, those articles with me, they popped up and and they're not necessarily hunters or they're just, you know, they don't know I care a lot about hunting. And, you know, that that isn't, that's that's damaging and it's unfortunate. Um, Yeah, no, it, it definitely frustrated. The one thought I had about this, and, and this is something that like, you know, and kind of to your point, I mean, you, you've done hunts and where you've, you know, had a, had a film crew follow you around and I'm thinking of your um, elk hunt. I mean, how much, you know, when you're, when you've invested in an opportunity to say, go on to this once in a lifetime elk hunt, but then you've got the, the film production with you, like how much of that does it, the, the, the sort of feeling that you need to have success change? in that circumstance for you or or did you feel that did you have to fight that off or did you feel it in that context?
1: I I think, uh, I don't really think so from a stand, like from a pressure of film standpoint, but maybe, you know, that could have also just been something that I compartmentalized because as a guide, that's kind of the, that's where you live Mm. in that, in that moment, right. Of, or in that feeling of, you know, the expectation is that you produce and obviously you don't always, I had a few unsuccessful sheep hunts this year with clients. Um, and, but when you have clients that are paying big money, the expectation is that you produce. I mean, if you run a whole guiding season and you don't get any animals, you probably, that's probably the end of your guiding career. We have a saying that we always say you're only as good as your last hunt. Um, so, So I think as far as hunting under pressure goes, that's kind of, that's sort of become the norm. The bulk of the hunting I do in a year is, is guiding and not hunting for myself. I typically hunt maybe tops 10 to 15 days a year for myself. And, you know, there'd be another hundred and, I don't know, 110 to 130 days where I'm guiding. So, uh, I didn't, I don't remember really feeling that. I I don't like having cameras around, um, I just don't, I feel like it takes, it takes a little bit of the purity out of the hunt out of it. Um, you know, it feels like to me, hunting feels like this thing where you're really, uh, immersed in nature and kind of the outside world disappears. And and when you introduce a camera guy in your face asking you, you know, once every hour to give a recap on what your thoughts are and what's happening, it just, to me, it, it does take away from the experience. Um, but yeah, that, and then I think the biggest thing is just having more people, you know, like actually physically with you for the whole thing. It, Cause at some point your group size is just too big. Like, I'll, you know, the less, if it's two people is great. Three people, there's some hunts where I'm like, yeah, that's okay. If you're hunting together yeah. beyond that, there's been times where I've been invited on like a winter goat hunt and it's like four guys and I'm like, I'd, I, I don't need to go sleep in a tent in the winter. I've done. That. I've played that game a few times. You know, three guys is great. It's it's nice to be able to split that meat up for the pack out and yeah, share weight yeah. and all that kind of stuff, especially that time of year. But yeah, I don't. I don't really remember feeling pressure to like pressure to be successful from that. It. I think it was more on that hunt, on the on the Rosie hunt in particular. I just knew how rare of an opportunity that was. And, and for me, I was like, I want to be able to, you know, whether I get an elk or I don't, that happens, that's just hunting, mm-hmm. but I want to be able to walk away from this at the end of it and say, like, I hunted as hard as I could. I made the best decisions that I could, you know, there wasn't anything that at the time I think I could have changed to make me successful. And if I can walk away, it's no different than guiding. If I can walk away from that and say like, it, you know, I didn't make a poor decision here. It just didn't play out well. That's that's haunting. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, I I I feel like it can't. Like I mean, I feel this in in the in a, in a you know. I would like to be successful. I like to have something to talk about and shoot some how to stuff. Um, you know, and that mm-hmm. comes with usually with with an animal that you know to to do that with and and I feel a certain amount of pressure, like I to 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 have success as part of my little project with Eat Wild. But I don't know. Like it certainly hasn't changed my decision making matrix for how I approach a hunt or what decisions I would make while on the hunt. Having said that, I can see the pressure mounting for for folks who are, you know, trying to build a business around showing these hunts and and the pressure that comes with that. Or or if you're, yeah, looking to yeah to capture that success on film that the decision making gets more complicated and and i i feel like that decision making may err on the side of like taking additional risks in order to oh yeah result I think in success that like for sure. yeah and and that's the piece that i feel like i don't know i got to keep that ego my own ego at bay and in check and as i approach my hunts and try not to have it drive my decision making but i certainly see some you know you know across the board you know when I do consume or see hunting videos, like there's a lot of, like I, I can't actually watch hunting videos without getting kind of upset about the decision-making process that goes into some of the, you know, you know, just shot decisions or just overall, yeah, decisions around mm-hmm. how to hunt and, and I think that's the somewhat driven by the pressure that's created for the for these shows and I you know I suspect that's probably one of the reasons why you know, we're talking about this right now is that you know, there's more and more people are following. Definitely. It, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think too, I mean, I think if you were doing, uh, I've never watched his show, but I, I imagine it's kind of more of a, like we put out a bunch of episodes across a whole hunting season, continuous thing. And I imagine there would be a ton of pressure in something like that to, you know, to effectively produce and be successful. Uh, i know when we did films with the journal it was kind of sporadically like once a year or once every couple years and and we were also i think pretty fortunate to work with uh some talented directors and producers and stuff like that like the director we used dan minsky uh he he honestly was like i don't give a shit about hunting like when i watch all of the hunting footage I like kind of skip through and I'm looking for a human story to try and pull out of here. Mm -hmm. Um, so from that standpoint, you kind of felt like, Hey, if we don't have a successful hunt, like if we have someone, if we have a great cinematographer, uh, and we've got Dan working on this, like Mm -hmm. there's going to be an interesting story here yep, for sure. So I, yeah, maybe a bit different in there, but for sure. I think that's, that's the driver, right? Like people with, with big social media platforms, um, you know, and, and be that a podcast or just an Instagram or guys putting out, you know, film episodes on all of this kind of stuff. I think it is one of those, um, you know, it's kind of a unique, it's very, it's not like fly fishing, or I guess maybe it is like fly fishing, but I was going to say it's, it's sort of in this unique space hunting where, at the end of the day like people don't want to keep watching if they don't think you're successful yeah because because that's kind of the benchmark for you know you having expertise and and so i think that i think that is the driver is that especially people who are newer to it kind of feel more like well i have to prove that i'm a knowledge matter expert expert i have to prove that i know what i'm doing i have to prove that you know, and then, yeah, that and ego just drives people to do, like, I don't think this is a unique situation from what I understand out of the States. Like this is commonplace for, you know, hunting influencers to end up getting charged with some kind of a wildlife infraction.
0: Well, I think it's the same thing we've, you I think mean, probably you and I have even talked about this at maybe even on the podcast, like, but the. The, the power of Instagram and how we are prege- presenting ourselves as hunters and we're just like, we're just driving for success and just like, you know, your hunt is not a success unless you got an animal on the ground and you got something to post about and like just trying to detach ourselves from this orientation of success and, and yeah, trying to tell a more, comp- a broader story, a more compelling story that doesn't necessarily just share the death of the animal and, and the achievement yeah. of killing something, but kind of fighting against that, but this, as we, as you kind of move to the the next stage of influencer, then yeah, like that, that's just that much more pressure to create content or have success and, and more eyes are watching mm-hmm. it too. Right. And, um, and there's more, there's more, more, more responsibility comes with it for sure.
1: And I think it's driven, like, I think a lot of that is also metrics driven. You know, I don't know if, um, like on your Instagram, I know you don't, Share like what would a lot of what would be called a traditional trophy shot, but I'm sure you've seen the metrics and like if you post a picture 100%. with a six point elk in it, you're going to get ten times the amount of you know views, clicks, shares, likes, whatever the metric is. Yeah, hundred
0: percent. Yeah, hundred percent. And, 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 and it's been a, it's been an intentional process since the beginning of you well not to share those stories, and it's always mm-hmm. a battle with the, when there is a great shot of like you know. You know Jenny with her with her elk, or or Jason with his he's a huge six point a couple of years ago, and like you just you want to show that because it's so much fun, mm-hmm. but you know yeah I, I've been kind of careful I've been I, and but yeah and it's a battle with my own ego every time it comes up for me and I kind of try to justify it because I put some larger story around it that's hopefully a how to do something and of course there's going to be a big old six point bull elk somewhere in those images or that story, but. Um, mm-hmm. but it's still, yeah. And that's, I full know full well, and and I, and I am doing it because, you know, I want to get greater exposure by sharing it. And I, and yeah, it's, it's like, it's yeah. Cause yeah, people aren't, you know, you could put put as many pictures of steaks, cooking over the fire and meat hanging from a tree and all those things. But they just, like you said, they don't translate to the same. Um, but you know what, maybe the people that I care about are, are looking at those things and learning something and that's what, that's, what's important to me. So. And I don't necessarily have to show a picture of a 6.0 to some. Yeah, totally.
1: And I, you know, and I think maybe a different, like you're not, you have a different style of content, right? I mean, it comes from a place of like, it's an educational, it seems to me like you, you genuinely want to, you know, share this experience with people, share how hunting is meaningful to you and, and kind of open doors for people to be able to get into that uh, you know, which is traditionally something that there's a huge barrier to entry if you don't have, if you don't have those traditional connections to hunting through, you know, however you want to shake it, friends, family, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it's I think maybe a bit different in your case, but I know from when we worked with the journal, like everything, if you're being paid by companies, everything's metrics driven, yep. right? You know, we 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 get paid based off of how many how many what your email open rate is, how many subscribers you have, uh, how many followers you have, that kind of stuff, how many downloads you have for a podcast. So it's it's a tough space in some ways. Like it is, a th- I think it is a difficult thing to navigate of like, how do you, you know, how do you do this in a way that doesn't, that feels sort of ethical to you, um, you know, without just kind of whoring yourself out for the dollar effectively. That's probably a bad term, but.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, it, yeah. It just you're kind of always coming up against your own ethics and having to make these, just, yeah, these. Yeah. So, so, I'll say that okay. So anyway, we'll, we'll leave we'll leave this news of the day topic because I think you know I think it's important to address it and acknowledge it and it's had an impact and it's a bummer, but I have to say that I stopped watching the the um, Alpine Carnivore stuff. There was this, there was an episode. I did like his earlier stuff because I, I liked that he was learning as he as he went along the way and he would share okay. that learning and I I appreciated that and he also hunted in some areas that I was interested to hunt in hunting. these are BC mm-hmm. areas and and um uh, but the, but where he lost me he's on a hunt with his with his wife and he's uh there's an elk at 350 yards and he's coaching his wife to to learn how to use the turrets on the rifle to to range in at 350, 350 yards so with that. I'm assuming she's never actually shot at 350 yards if she's never operated the turrets and discussed how to do all this. So she shoots two or three times and misses. And then he pushes her off the rifle, jumps on the rifle and, and shoots the elk. And I was like, oh man, there's so many things wrong with that. I just can't, that's for my hunter education yep. and for my trying to make great places, make make space for other folks to come and enjoy this. That's just not how it's done, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's just like it, that, that was, that was enough for me. So, so I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll leave my, my comments there and, and, uh, certainly yeah, would hope for a better setting up people for better, for success. Um, be a, yeah, much better ways of doing that than, uh, than that, than that particular scene for sure. So totally. Yeah. Anyways, okay, let's move on. We're, we're gonna I'm gonna see it Sheep Show. That's gonna be fun. Or what yeah, we the Sheep next Show'. Week. Um Are you thinking about bear hunting this year?
1: I think that's probably the last time we really hung out. Well, yeah, I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be guiding. Uh and I did last year guided uh like a full spring season for uh Ben Storak at Arcadia outfitters oh, there, just North cool. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um and so I'll be doing that again uh i was trying to wrangle up a plan for a for a coastal uh bear hunt because i've done a few of them over the years had a really good time last year kind of finally got together and had a boat and enough days like i think we were i think i was there hunting for 9 days and i think her son 8 days i was there for 9 days oh, and wow. I think the guy stayed for 10 or 11 days i left separately i had to come home but um But yeah, I was trying to get something like that going again, but the guys I went with last year decided to push their dates into May, uh, which, you know, fair enough, April can be kind of a miserable time on the island Mm -hmm. as far as weather and temperatures and stuff like that. Uh, And yeah, I don't, I just don't think it's going to come together this year. I've been trying to, you know, based off of earlier on, I mentioned I was gone for six months from home last year. So uh, I'm trying to be a good boy and, and spend a bit more time with my wife uh so there's that and then also i don't have a boat and and my buddy Lorne, who's a photographer was kind of our in we were working with a a local like inflatable boat company and basically you know he would it was a, it was a trade work for work for borrowing a boat uh, oh, so nice so without that in the cards because they switched their dates i just i'm kind of like i don't think i'll probably go out for myself and i've got a freezer full of meat right now so that's sort of a, yeah, that's kind of the,
0: yeah, we were sort of, I, I really had a lot of fun. I went on my first um coastal bear hunt last yeah. year and we had a great time. It was awesome. Like just the integrating seafood into hunting and like, and bears don't really get up. Like, the, like it seemed like the action didn't kind of get going until the afternoon. So you would like kind of just like hang out at camp, have like a really nice lunch, you know, and just make beautiful food, do some harvesting and then go cruise around and, just look at, look at bears, looked lots of bears and anyways, Jenny got a beautiful bear and that was, that was great. So I, I, I think I'll do it again. And, uh, the, yeah, the only challenge is I, I just, um, yeah, we're kind of at the, we're at the point where we're sort of trying to, you know, make sure we're on doing, getting through the meat we got before we, you know, go throw another 50 pounds of, um, bear in the freezer, but still kind of sure. excited about just, well, we can go boating any time and fishing, but Hey, if you want to go out, um, we can make it a quick one. Um, I'm trying to, yeah, that could be good. Head, yeah. Head out from, uh, this part of the world and yeah, see what comes together. But, um, speaking of which. What
1: time of year did you go last year?
0: Uh, we were there, I think in April, like, I think we were there yeah okay. kind of early and it was kind of like, it wasn't really happening and we were like, Oh, this feels like it's not happening yet. Um, and, uh, and it kind of just picked up after, like we all of a sudden we had like two days of like feeling a bit wintry and nothing much going on and having some really amazing oyster meals and clam bakes and stuff. And then all of a sudden there was bears everywhere. So it was really like just turned on like, and, uh, yeah. Okay. So I know
1: the weather switched for us, like the, I think probably five days after we left, it went from like a uh, average temperature daytime of like four degrees to like 17 degrees. Okay. Got re- It just flipped, got really warm. I'm sure there was, we saw a decent, we saw like one to two bears a day. It was kind of slow, but like big mature bears, mature boars. Mm. Um, and it was a little different for us. Like I, you know, I, I got this one bear, the one that's hanging up behind me. Yeah. And then my other buddy was uh archery hunting. So he was there was a lot of stalking and a lot of <laughs> bears just feeding away into the slough, <laughs> yeah, just which was, you know, it's it cool. It's all, it's all part of it. I think, uh, I don't, I'd be curious to hear your experience, but I think that's my, kind of my favorite way to hunt bears. Cause it feels like at least where we were, it feels like you're on a really remote kind of adventurous hunt. Um, but you're still kind of like, you're not just cruising around logging roads, getting out and walking a bit here and there like it feels like you're on it feels like you're on like a northern style hunt. Yeah,
0: we had I just loved it. Yeah, it we was, it was, it had a beautiful camp in this like idyllic location and there's just like yeah, everything about it was it was just it was super special and and it resulted in like got a bunch of beautiful bear sausage out of the deal. So it's yeah, it was a great hunt and I do it all I do it again for sure. Uh yeah, so nice. we should we should chat about that. But speaking of bear hunting, uh, I should promote so I've done a bunch of these e-courses or online courses. You helped me with the still bear there. hunting one. And that has been by far the most successful of, I've got a bunch like still hunting and meat care and how to be safe in bear country. And I got elk hunting out there with, with, um, with Mike Bridger. But the one I did with you is by far the top selling eat, well, online course. So if anybody is interested in nice. getting, you know, set up for this spring bear hunting season. And getting the foundation of how to go about it, you can come hang out with Nolan and I on a long format discussion on how we, well, what I've learned, and certainly what what Nolan's able to share from his years of guiding, and that yeah, it was it's uh that it turned out pretty good. So, and also I've got lots of people like have have gotten back to me and said, hey, this is this was super helpful, and thanks for doing that.
1: That's awesome. That's yeah. great to hear. Yeah, that's the cool part. Yeah, I enjoy bear hunting. It's 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 just easy, like not <laughs> easy. It's just. The temperatures are good you know yeah. it's not suffering in the north getting hailed on and yeah. usually we got hailed on last year bear hunting but
0: yeah. yeah yeah just a little this is not it was just a nice way to it's just a great you know what and after a long winter like just getting out of hibernation you're know, getting out and you know just being active totally. and getting yeah yeah. so uh, yeah let, let's uh, let's talk more about that and um see if there's a if there's a shorter trip that we can fit in um okay before I let you go Thanks, we got a couple sponsor questions from for, for you so this podcast is uh supported by the seek outside folks they make ultralight gear they make those teepee tents with wood stoves in it which is for me has been a game changer in my gear because it I can extend my hunts. I can get dry. That bear hunt we did, we did it with a 12, the 12 person teepee tent with a wood stove. We got rained on and like just sitting inside of a tent with a wood stove, you know, eating oysters and cooking oysters on the Beautiful. fire. It's just great. Like just totally changed, just a total game changer. So the question from these guys is, um, for you and your hunting adventures, uh, what's a piece of gear that's, that is a, been, become a game changer for you? Um, in your approach Ooh. to guiding
1: or hunting or Yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, I always like to say I'm not like super gear centric uh, and that it's, you know, it's more about your skills than the gear that you have. But I've also got, you know, I've, I've got most of the nicest stuff out there. Jeez. Uh, what's a piece that's a game changer? Like as far as general hunting or comfort or. Make you
0: more efficient, make you more successful, make you more comfortable. Something that you just, that, that just, you go, wow, this is kind of great. Yeah. Maybe. I'm going
1: to answer this three ways. Okay. So I'm, I'm breaking the one piece. <laughs> three ways. One, good glass. I love the glass. I, you know, especially hunting in the North. Uh, so good glass, whatever, you know, that is for your budget and your eyes. Uh, but, but that's, it. that's probably the, as far as being successful, that's, I think the biggest thing, good glass and spending time in it, like learning how to just stare through your binos for 12 hours out of a day on a sheep hunt or something like that. Uh, and then as far as just camp comfort, uh, down or synthetic down, like insulated booties, mm. those are now that is the go-to It's same as like my, if me and my buddies are going deer hunting you know, if we're hunting, if we're glassing lots of times we'll, we'll find a place we can drive to and glass. Even if you're glassing three kilometers away, sitting in the spotting scopes in a, in a lawn chair mm-hmm. by the trucks and kind of finding, okay, this is where we're going to go hike into and maybe spike in for a couple days or whatever. Maybe it's just a day trip. Um, but down, like down slippers, super comfortable, not that expensive, yeah. just nice to be in. And, uh, and I'm a big fan of those Helinox chairs when they first came out, I thought it was like this, you know, aimed at the wealthy Vancouver kind of granola, mm-hmm. go up to Joffrey with $10,000 yeah. on your back crowd. And, uh, yeah. I actually got tipped as part of a tip. I got given one, uh, and I since actually, I gave that to one of the guides in Mexico and I bought myself another one, but I don't go, like I backpack with that thing, I it stays clipped to my backpack. I always have it.
0: So you're the second or third person that spends a great deal of time in the mountains, that said, that is now packing a Helinox chair with them. So I I, I might have to go down the road here. Of um, You've never used one. I've got some shitty ones, that, like the small folding ones that you can get for, you know, whatever, 60 bucks on Amazon that break after two seasons. So I might just go for it and get the... I got, they're good. I got a... And they're,
1: I use the heavier one. It's like a pound ish or something yeah. like that. I think. Or maybe it's two pounds. I don't know. They've got a lighter one. But uh yeah, durable, comfortable and
0: This is so nice to sit just... in a chair when you're glassing or hanging out. Or getting up in your teepee tent in the morning and you're like get the wood stove going, you make your coffee and mm-hmm. you know, just hang out, put your boots on. Yeah, like I'm getting older, man. I'm almost I'm I'm two years shy of fifty. I got like I got a it's hard, hard crawling around on them.
1: yeah and i actually pack mine around like in moose season i pack it around for my clients Mm -hmm. i just pack a little like foam pad for myself to sit on and then i put my i set up the heel and ox for my clients to sit there and they love it because they're usually older and nobody really loves just sitting on the ground for five or six hours but (laughs) yeah for sure
0: okay one more question and then i'll let you go so this podcast is also sponsored by the 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 folks of the BC backcountry hunters and anglers, and uh, they do a good job of you know, well they do they're, they lead conservation work here in BC? They're just getting off the ground essentially in terms of the work that they're doing, um, but they're doing a great job of building community, um, and and I think they're a great access point for for you know young or new co- conservationists and new hunters to connect and find community. So if folks are looking mm-hmm. for uh, to get involved with conservation. Um, And also to meet other new hunters and build community. Look up your local, uh, regional chapter of the BC Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And this question um, is uh, brought to you from the BC Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and it's: What is your dream hunt in British Columbia? Where would you want to go, and how would you want
1: to do it? Well, I mean, like I would say, there's there's really there's a specific uh, mountain range that I would that I've never been into. and I would really love to to hunt sheep in there with my horse string. Mm-hmm. That would be for me. That's that would be kind of the pinnacle. Um, but a a float for moose and caribou would be like a fourteen day or an eighteen day float trip, long distance. You know, I've I've I'll never have time for it. I mean, I'm I'm very committed to you know guiding as a career. So uh, hopefully, then one day outfitting. So I doubt that will ever happen for me, but there's a few spots that I've looked at in the northwest that you could take take your sweet time, a mm-hmm. couple big rafts and some buddies and, and do a really beautiful like moose caribou float trip late September in the rut. Just that'd be hard to beat, I think.
0: Yeah, that's I wonder if we're thinking the same spot for that <laughs> probably yeah, <there's laughs> but, you know hunters often think alike and yeah. i know
1: there's been i've talked to people i might have even been you that have talked to you about it before and you know you mentioned the lake and they're like yeah i've looked at that you then know, you hit this river and float all the yeah, way yeah out, yeah picked up oh there. just the fact
0: that you went to that direction yeah. I know exactly where you were yeah with your finger there yeah, i know yeah like where you're going but well it's, exactly it's cool it's cool well it's been fun hanging out with you nolan and um next time we hang out we'll have to go to um the beer brewery beer uh they're also a sponsor of the podcast and if you actually if you live right there next to beer brewing I do if you go there you can tell them you can give them the eat well discount code and you get 10% off your beers okay. that's like not, that you, told me that. not not that you really want 10% more beer in your life but um like cuz worse things to have yeah totally but anyways th- they're good people and uh we're going to actually do a butchering workshop there in the, probably in the fall i think we, And uh, we might do our LEH um, uh, fundraiser there as well. So uh, maybe I can get you involved in that. And if it's in your neighborhood, maybe you can come down and hang out. And we can yeah, for sure, right down the street for me. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, well, don't go anywhere. I'm gonna just uh, check out some details for you. But we'll say goodbye to the listeners. Uh, If folks want to find you and follow along on your adventures, uh, how do people find you?
1: uh well, my instagram is at nmo and that's kind of the only place but i t- truthfully i don't really share anything hunting related on there i have to think once or twice a year i, I post a couple just general photography photos that i like so right on right on well cool yeah. well
0: you've been really generous with your time here and again thanks so much for helping out with the the that uh that online course that we did and giving people the foundation of uh um yeah getting out there and going out bear hunting which highly successful hunt and Can produce a lot of protein for the freezer. So, yeah, cool. Nice to see you, Nolan. Thank you. Good to be on. Hey, folks! I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So, drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild. ca and We'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast, or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, Burst, Columbia area. We do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too. If you happen to be in the area now, we'd love it. If you could leave a review or a comment, wherever you listen to your podcast, that'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that until next time. Eat well and wild.